Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we ferment your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, Dipon Sirkar talks about the microbiology of food. But first up, here's news of extradition. Britannia waves the rules. Over a year ago, Julian Assange was to be extradited for 18 counts of espionage and the legal deadline for new charges had passed. This week, the US government dropped their charges against Mr Assange and re-arrested him on new charges. He hadn't been allowed to see. This was the first time Mr Assange was allowed to see his lawyers in six months. Amnesty International and all other human rights organisations, politicians and the head of WikiLeaks, have been barred from the courtroom and the streaming video channel. Judge Vanessa Baretza wanted to ban all witnesses from speaking, because only she needs to know what they said. The defence requested the witnesses be heard in the interests of justice, for the benefit of Mr Assange who hasn't been allowed to be briefed for six months, and so that justice can be seen to be done. The judge allowed 30 minutes per witness. The original charges were about Chelsea Manning's leak of a video showing American soldiers gleefully shooting unarmed civilians, including children and journalists. Collateral murder. The US government is alleging that Mr Assange is a hacker with political motives, not a journalist with a wiki page where leakers can upload files anonymously to be verified and published by news organisations around the world. The US government alleged that this means he can be prosecuted for breaking some US laws, but cannot be protected by other US laws, like the freedom of speech guaranteed in the US Constitution. Defence requested that the new charges be thrown out without being heard in the name of procedural fairness. Defence had no time to consult with Mr Assange and prepare a defence. Defence lawyer Summers declared, What's happening here is abnormal, unfair, and liable to create real injustice if allowed to continue. Mr Assange is now charged for assisting the NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden evade arrest, even though that isn't a crime under US or UK law. Edward Snowden was vindicated by the US Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit last week, who ruled that the mass surveillance of US citizens' phone records by the US government was illegal. The US government claims that Mr Assange hacked into Icelandic computers. The defence counters that Sigurdur Thordeson was convicted in Iceland of fraud, theft and of impersonating Mr Assange. Defence argues it was necessary for Assange to publish evidence of war crimes. The prosecution countered it was not necessary for him to hack into a bank in Iceland. Several observers have complained that the US government prosecution lawyer is speaking in a weird way emphasising syllables and changing his volume, making him very hard to understand. Apparently it sounds more like a deliberate tactic than some unusual American accent or speech impediment. The judge denied the request to ignore the new charges. 
Defence asked instead for a three-month adjournment to prepare a defence. Prosecution argued that it's wrong for defence to ask for extra time after losing the request to have the extra charges ignored. The judge declared it's wrong for defence to ask for extra time after losing the request to have the extra charges ignored. The judge says that defence should have asked for more time in August at the time when Mr Assange hadn't yet seen the charges. Now that he has seen the charges, she won't allow any time to prepare a defence. The first defence witness was Professor Mark Feldstein, an expert in the history of journalism, who's spoken in civilian and criminal trials before the US Congress. Professor Feldstein explained that US government officials leak information to the press every day. Thousands of such leaks are published in the news every day. No publisher was ever convicted for this because it's protected by the First Amendment of the US Constitution. President Trump is the first president to ever level grand jury charges against publishers. All previous whistleblowers charged with espionage had violated an oath of secrecy, which no publisher, including Mr Assange, has taken. The court technology failed at this point, and the video just cut off, ending his evidence early. The new American empire will rule the world, and free speech and accountability will be dead. Meanwhile, in Australia, not only do we have secret trials of people who reveal crimes committed by the Australian government, but we're even charging their government-approved lawyers in another secret trial for doing their job of defending them. The trials against journalists for revealing war crimes are still to come. The Australian government has now proposed new laws that would allow military personnel to commit war crimes, such as murdering unarmed civilians, without being prosecuted. This is the Defence Legislation Amendment Enhancement of Defence Force Response to Emergencies Bill 2020. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. How safe is your food? How do you make sourdough? Dipon Sirkar is a PhD student at the Tasmanian Institute of Agriculture in the University of Tasmania, studying food microbiology. He's an avid science communicator, active with Young Tassie Scientists and National Science Week. We spoke by Zoom despite many technical problems. I began by asking Dipon, was he interested in the food or the microbiology first? Food. Been interested in food since I'm, I think, six, seven years old. So that chicken came first. (laughs) And how did that direct your studies? I would say that I've always been interested in life sciences a lot. I had a very weird combination of interests in school where I liked history and life sciences and nobody could give me career advice. But then I stuck with life sciences and the more I studied, the, my interest went into smaller and smaller things and it ended up being microorganisms. And then I was given the option of studying the microbiology of the environment, the microbiology of the human system or the microbiology of food. And I chose food because I, I thought that this would let me eat a lot. And did it? Not really. <laughs> Because the stuff I study in microbiology makes the food uneatable. So 
Ah, so you find out what is safe to eat. Yes. So the specific field that I'm researching on is called food safety, where I study how pathogens grow in cheese, uh, how fast they grow or how slow they grow. So those cheese are that I study in the lab are a big no-no for eating. And you're particularly looking at paneer. Yeah. So my research matrix or the food that I'm food of interest that I'm studying for my thesis is paneer. It's a fresh, soft cheese that originates in India. It originated there, but now it's like produced and consumed everywhere in the world. Here in Australia, we have at least five brands that's making paneer, and a lot of people making it at home. And I'm studying how pathogens would grow in paneer if it's contaminated, because although it's a very old product, it not a lot is known about. How pathogens behave in the product? And my understanding is that unlike some of the cheeses that are produced with microorganisms, paneer isn't. No, so paneer is a fresh cheese. So fresh cheese means that it does not have any other microorganisms in it. So we don't intentionally put a fermenting or a starter culture in it. One of the inherent advantages of having a mature cheese is that. There's already microorganism present there that you have intentionally put, and these microorganisms often have a protective effect, and they don't let bad pathogens grow on it, or they protect it a bit. So these fresh cheeses like feta, paneer, queso fresco, these don't have this protective effect from starter cultures. So they are sometimes more prone to pathogenic microorganisms or spoilage microorganisms. And how do you study this? To study it, I basically mimic contamination incident. So I intentionally contaminate my samples that I make in the lab, and then I study how they grow over time. And this pattern is reproducible. So given that the conditions remain the same, this pattern of growth is very similar. And if you study it enough, you can predict it. So the observations help me make predictive models that are then. Hopefully, would be used by manufacturers and food food safety regulators to make decisions. And you've been involved with the Young Tassie Scientists and Science Week. Young Tassie Scientists and Science Week is now the highlight of my year. To be honest, August is such a busy time and such an exciting time because of these two things. So, Young Tassie Scientists is a science outreach program that is run through、uh, National Science Week and University of Tasmania. Where we essentially there's a group of scientists that forms a cohort and we go into schools. Normally, when in the olden days we used to physically go to a school and talk to students、uh, about our research or about science in general. But now we, like everyone else, we also shifted to a Zoom platform. So this year we talked to, we have made videos and we circulated to students and they saw it. And they had a bunch of questions ready for us when we entered their classroom. They were talking about our research, our science, what got us interested. And it's very why I got involved in it is it's very enriching because not only are they learning, but I think I learn a lot by talking to kids because the innocence in the questions really makes you think. Like, why am I doing what am I doing? What is the whole point of it? So I find it very rewarding to talk to kids about science and even influence them in their career decisions, maybe. And this National Science Week, I was involved in an independent event too, which was called Ferment Home Station, 
So we applied for a grant and we got one. And the whole event was around talking to people about the science of fermentation. Everyone has been fermenting during this pandemic, like sourdough, kimchi, sauerkraut, so many things. Especially my housemate, he's been fermenting everything. So this idea came in a conversation with him and we were sitting on the dinner table and I was like, do you know the science behind fermentation? And we ended up actually applying for this grant together and running this event where we promoted the science behind fermentation. And so how have you been doing this? Do you have videos? We have invited experts from around the world. There's been the only sourdough librarian of the world joined us and talked to us about his sourdough initiative in Belgium. Basically, if I had a unique starter and I don't have family or friends who wants to take care of it, there's people out there who who really want your starter and would like to preserve it. So there's amazing stories. Check out their website and they've got a Quest for Sourdough website where they've there's some 200-year-old starters there. Morgan Clemenston has a, is an expert baker based in Sydney. She came and talked about her sourdough journey. Erin McKinney is a fermentation scientist in the University of North Carolina, USA. And she ran a fermentation workshop. And all these events have been recorded and it's available on the YouTube channel. They were all live events, so people joined us live. And we also ran a public experiment where we had 50 kids with instructions that would help people make a sourdough starter from scratch. So a wild sourdough. And while making the sourdough, they could record some data and contribute it to an international public science experiment that's already going on. So we sold all the 50 kits and we are getting some data in. So hopefully soon we'll have a sneak peek into how Tasmanians make sourdough starters and talk a bit more about it then. So... If people are making sourdough starter at home without getting a starter from someone else, how does that work? So essentially, the flour that you use for your starter already has most of the microorganisms that your starter will eventually have. So you put the flour in the jar and you give water and you put it in a nice warm environment and you basically tell the microorganisms to grow. And they have this nice warm home, they have food, So say start growing and you have to feed your starter regularly. So you give them food and hence you promote the growth of the microorganisms. And eventually after seven days, you'll have a mature starter. So research has shown there is a lot of talk that the air contributes the microorganism, the, the water contributes the microorganism. The debate's still out. I am not an expert to comment on that, but this much is known that flour is the major con- contributor to your sourdough microbiota. So you're basically using what's there already in the in the flour. And sometimes your hands. Ah, so if you provide the flour and the water and a good environment, the yeast will come. The yeast is already there in the flour. The, those yeast will start growing and the lactic acid bacteria will start growing. And then they together make this yummy, very tarty environment where other microorganisms will not be able to grow. Together with the lactic acid bacteria and the yeast, they make an environment which is pretty acidic, like the pH is almost like lo- as low as 3.5 and 4. And they make an acidic environment which where no other microorganisms usually grow. So they have this source of food and they make this environment so that they can protect their own source. And so other microorganisms won't come and grow on it. 
that's why it's very hard for your sardo starter to like spoil and mold to grow on it although they you can like believe me you can very easily just leave it for leave it there for a month and see what grows but if you maintain it it's a self sustaining environment of where yeast and lactic acid bacteria protect themselves and give you this yummy food are there any tricks to making your bread become fluffier with the right things to feed the yeast or the right way to rise the bread uh i think uh, fluffiness as far as my limited knowledge goes all depends a lot on the gluten content of the flour ah so high gluten breads fluffs up easier that's why white flour bread is so fluffy but ancient flours like rye and spelt don't rise that much generally like bakers are amazing at their job and they figured out how to make the bread physically how to knead it or how to proof it so that they can get the maximum rise out of it and with food spoilage are there general rules that we should know about how to look after our food so that it stays edible as long as possible or the so we don't hurt ourselves put it in the fridge for how long so temperature is known to be one of the most essential controls of food that's why essentially with the discovery of refrigeration our food our food habits changed before refrigeration it was something else and after and fermentation was a big thing then because fermentation is a natural way of preserving food so we have preservatives both chemical and natural that helps the food last longer generally less exposure to air and heat helps food stay non spoiled for a longer time and if there's special considerations for your food for example if you're fermenting you should ensure that for your sauerkraut all your cabbage should be under the liquid so under the liquid is an anaerobic environment where they're not getting oxygen whereas if they go above the liquid and they have access to air they will spoil for sure no matter how much you're fermenting down on the liquid side mold will be growing on the exposed part so if there's special consideration for your food follow that otherwise fridge fridge and freezer uh, but there are there definitely limits on how long you can keep things in the fridge or the freezer yeah for sure like forget your uh, pasta in the fridge for a month and see what grows on it <laughs> because when we heat we kill things but then we leave it open to to cool or we are eating it so we are exposing it to, to a lot of microorganisms and a lot of it are our spoilage microorganisms molds fungi and then we wrap up our leftovers or put it in a tupperware and put it in the fridge so the microorganisms and the molds are already there the fridge really slows them down it's like what happens to people in the in the in winter they get like all shrivelly and slow so that's what happens to microorganisms they become slow essentially but slow doesn't mean death so they are growing very slowly and eventually if you give enough time they will outgrow it and you can see more that's why they spoil even in the fridge another reason why we did this ferment home station event now is not only are people fermenting a lot but also at the time when a microorganism is basically changing our world there's a lot of focus on hand washing and and personal hygiene to kill microorganisms but i think the narrative should be a bit more equitable in the sense that there's also wonderful microbes out there giving us food antibiotics helping us give our coffee our genes that we wear so 
something that young tazi scientists also has put to me is that students are kids especially are aware of microbes as germs and you and yak are these are the things that associated with microorganisms but what about this amazing world that they they give us too antibiotics we won't have antibiotics unless we had microorganisms so this event was focused on talking about the good microbes for a change because a bad microbe is really changing our world absolutely and chocolate is fermented before it's roasted yeah chocolate coffee jeans antibiotics so many things yeast is like bread beer wine sake all the things that we like to enjoy in our evenings so you've got a story about yeast the story about yeast is basically the history of baking and i heard this on a podcast and it was like a mind blowing moment for me because even though it's all around us i don't think a lot of us would be aware of it i certainly wasn't is this packeted yeast the instant yeast that was out of shelves during the pandemic that made people make sado this yeast has not been around for a long time louis pasteur discovered it i think in the 1860s and it wasn't industrially produced and packeted until like the early 1900s but we've been baking for thousands of years egyptians were baking so they didn't have this packeted yeast how would how did they bake because they had figured out sado many many years ago and if not sado some other way of harnessing natural yeast and in the 1800s the bakers were called that they were slaves to their starters because they had to feed it every hour they couldn't sleep like because they had to wake up like every 4 hours to feed it and when instant yeast was discovered that changed baking that that was a major disruption in the baking industry because people realized that we don't have to do all these things this packet can just cause wonders so a lot of countries actually lost the traditional history of making bread like completely lost it so sourdoughs were not there only the countries that produced like ancient grains like rye kept then ancient knowledge because they were seeing that yeast didn't affect rye that well so that is because there's a compound called phytic acid in the grains and rye has a lot of phytic acid and yeast cannot break down phytic acid and neither can our human body so we just we eat it without digesting it and phytic acid not only is it undigestible it also holds on to it's a it's a something called a chelator so it holds on to other things other micronutrients and doesn't let our body absorb that too so the yeast bread that we sometimes eat we're not digesting a lot of the nutrients from it the wonderful thing about sado is not only is there yeast there is also lactic acid bacteria and lactic acid bacteria can actually break down this phytic acid for us so even before we eat it this acid is broken down and these micronutrients are now available and that's when we eat it we really digest all of it so the amount of nutrition that we are getting from like sourdough bread is much more than yeast bread and have you been involved in other science communication Young Tazi Scientist is an annual program that I'm involved with, so it happens every year. I've done it two years now, and also as a part of Young Tazi Scientist, we do other events like we go to schools otherwise, and we do events like Tastro Fest and Ag Fest in Tasmania. So those are the communication programs I'm involved with, but I definitely like to be involved more. Do you have advice for students who are thinking about studying microbiology? 
don't be limited by what you see there's a huge world under the microscope and they do amazing things and also horrible things so you can study either and either way you're going to be helping human society anyways so dive in and there's a wonderful world there that we aren't always aware of because we can't see it well dipon thank you very much thank you that was microbiologist dipon sirkar from the tasmanian institute of agriculture talking about using bugs to make food and protecting food from bugs i'll put links to the sourdough library in the show notes the video of the interview will be released soon. You can now see the video of my interviews with James Hayes about odour, Ian Bryce about masks, Bonnie, Kirsten and Martin about the search for life on Mars, and Sylvia Vicenzi about brain development on the Diffusion YouTube channel. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions, and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including... Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 Triple C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7 LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2 XFM in Canberra. Diffusion is now narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf. Subscribe to the Diffusion YouTube channel at youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography, collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.